Hey, welcome to our online service on Wednesday night. Glad you can join us as we find ourselves in the middle of summer, middle of July, and we have the privilege to be able to come together tonight and to study a very important chapter in the scriptures. All of God's word is profitable as uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 declares to us. And as we go through the scriptures, all of it is there for our benefit. And this book, the book of Jeremiah, has been a powerful study for us. But if we were to highlight certain chapters that really uh, are important theologically or important, uh, the stories that are there that really are extra special to us, perhaps, I think this chapter that we're going to look at fits into that category because it's going to speak of the new covenant. And uh, we as Christians, we're benefited because we are in that new covenant uh, but we also know that this is having prophetic implications for God's people, Israel, as we continue our study in the book of Jeremiah. So, Father, we do pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. And we're th- grateful that we can uh, be here tonight on this Wednesday night uh, and to be able to glean from your word, uh, to go over this portion of scripture that uh, is going to bless us. Uh, has so much implication for us, uh, but also as we make the application. And so we ask that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Our hearts would be stirred. And Lord, we know all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. And we do know that this is uh, for us today, not just for the house of Judah 2,500 years ago, 2,600 years ago. So, Lord, um, we just desire to be taught by you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're going through the book of Jeremiah, you know that Jeremiah has been given a very difficult message to the house of Judah. It was in 722 B.C. that the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, went off into captivity by the Assyrians. And there was never a, a, a return of the uh, ten northern tribes. Now, not every Jew was taken off into captivity. Some of the Assyrians came, and they lived among the uh, Jews there uh, in the ten northern tribes, the northern part of the country. And they uh, would uh, marry with the Jews, and we know that that's the Samaritans. We'll talk about them uh, as we go through Matthew's gospel, as Jesus talks about the Samaritans. But Uh, We know that the house of Judah is going to go off into captivity where very few are left in the land. And keep in mind that as Jeremiah has been given a very uh, difficult message, a message of judgment that is going to come to Judah because of their disobedience, their false worship, listening to the false prophets, uh, given to a false hope and, and a false worship, and they refuse to turn back to the Lord. The Lord had reminded them of the covenant that he made with them, and that is, if you follow after me, that I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to protect you, and everything's going to be well with you and your family. But if you forsake me, and that's what they have done. 
And it's the prophets that have come on the scene, even as Jeremiah has reminded them that the prophets have come early to you in the morning, proclaiming God's truth to turn back to him, turn back to the word of God, to worship him, give up those idols. Those idols cannot help you. Uh, It's futile. And, And to give up your false worship and quit listening to the false prophets that if you do that, you're going to go off into captivity, and that's exactly what's going to happen. And keep in mind that the Babylonian captivity, there was three waves of Babylon coming into Judah, into Jerusalem. Uh, there's three deportations, if you would, that took place in 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar was uh, at war with his troops, the Babylonian troops. They're taking over the known world there. And Nebuchadnezzar's father, who was the king, he dies. So Nebuchadnezzar has to go back to Babylon quickly to secure the throne. And on his way, he stops in Jerusalem. He takes Daniel and the choice men of Judah away from Jerusalem, begins to take the treasuries away from the house of the Lord uh, to Babylon. And that's when the captivity would begin in 605 B.C. A second deportation, if you would, would begin And in 597 B.C., that's where Ezekiel was taken off into captivity. Jehoiakim uh, was taken off into captivity as well. And after that deportation, that we know that there was only a few people that were really left in the land, Zedekiah was set up as the last king of Judah, and he is trying to figure a way to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. And we have seen going through the book of Jeremiah that he has a meeting with uh, the leaders of the nations around Israel with the Ammonites and the Moabites and, and others, thinking that maybe we can have this coup against Nebuchadnezzar, throw off the yoke of Babylon, and, and we'll be okay. And Jeremiah came along and said, don't do that. Uh, submit to Nebuchadnezzar. If you do, you'll be under his yoke under his uh, submission and and power, but at least the city won't be destroyed, Jerusalem, and you'll be able to live in the land. But Zedekiah didn't heed the voice of Jeremiah and the word of the Lord. He rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, so the third time in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar this time destroyed the city of Jerusalem, leveled the city, and destroyed Solomon's temple. And Solomon's temple was a magnificent temple. As you read about uh, how Solomon built the temple there in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, overlaid it with gold, and, and it was a magnificent structure. So 536 B.C., the 70 years of captivity would end. And as Jeremiah had been warning them, he said there's going to be great devastation and death and destruction like you've never seen before. So these are very difficult messages of judgment that Jeremiah is giving to God's people. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, he's weeping over this message. He's experiencing persecution uh, by uh, the false prophets. People are listening to the false prophets. Even after the first and second deportation, there are the false prophets saying, oh, it's only going to last the captivity for two more years And then Nebuchadnezzar is going to be overthrown and we're going to come back into uh, Jerusalem, into the land and all the treasuries. And Jeremiah has been telling them that this is the word of the Lord, as we saw in chapter 29, that you're going to be there for a total of 70 years. So you, you know, build houses, 
You take wives. You have children so you don't diminish. Pray for this city. And after 70 years are completed, then the Lord says that I will come and visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And words of comfort are beginning to come to Judah because when they're off in captivity and Jeremiah is saying that 70 years are going to be completed for this captivity, then they would come back 536 B.C. when Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, who overthrew Babylon... Uh, Babylon no longer is the dominating world power. Uh, We know that Daniel, when he was taken off in 605 B.C., you begin to put everything together. And Daniel, that he gave a prophecy to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to be overthrown. Uh, But uh, it's going to be by the Medes and the Persians. And, And he gave him that interpretation of the dream that he had Uh, in Daniel chapter 2 that we don't have time tonight to go into, but it's the very foundation of Bible prophecy. And that's exactly what happened. Cyrus and the Medes and the Persians, as you read in Daniel chapter 5, would overthrow Babylon. And then Cyrus, who Isaiah prophesied 200 years before he was born, that he is my servant, the Lord says, and he is going to allow the people to come back, led by Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, to come back to Jerusalem, and they will rebuild the second temple. Now, the second temple, when you read the books of Ezra, uh, that, that returned to the land under Zerubbabel and them rebuilding the temple, that they would eventually rebuild it. It was a very modest temple. But then later on, right before the birth of Jesus, that Herod the Great that you read about, In the New Testament, in Matthew's gospel particularly, he is mentioned, uh, but he is one that was called the great because of a great builder. He would uh, expand the Temple Mount. He would remodel the second temple to where it became a magnificent building overlaid with gold, one of the wonders of the world. And then Rome came in in 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem once again. It was the city destroyed level. And the second temple was destroyed. And so all this keep in mind because we know that as we go through these chapters, particularly chapters 30 through 33, this is known as the book of consolation, these chapters, where Jeremiah is telling God's people, listen, God hasn't forgot about you. We know in chapter 29 he said, thus says the Lord, I know my thoughts toward you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And that's a word for us. Um, And it's comforting for us. And and whatever it is that we're going through, maybe feeling, Lord, do I have a future in all the stuff that, that perhaps that you've gone through over the last few months or even a longer period, the Lord sees you and he still wants to work in your life. And he's calling you to himself. And we know that as we go, as we saw chapter 30 last week, and now chapter 31, we'll continue through chapter 33, that the Lord is speaking about a time of restoration. And in these prophecies, Jeremiah is given a near fulfillment of you're going to come back from the 70 years of captivity. Indeed, that's going to take place. Uh, And then 
also speaking of a future prophetic scenario that's going to take place. And we know that because he's talking about a final restoration of Israel and speaking about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, how they're going to come to the Lord and worship him, and the Lord is going to rule over them. And it's absolutely amazing. Matter of fact, at the end of chapter 30, if you were with us last week, that I want to read it to you. The last uh, part of the chapter says, in the latter days you will consider it. So Jeremiah is saying, listen, this is part of the latter days. And we know that Isaiah used the same phraseology in his prophecies when he spoke of that period of time called the millennium reign. So we are getting a prophetic picture of what uh, is going to take place that is yet future. That's very important for us as Christians to understand because even Isaiah, when he began to prophesy, uh, he would give a, a near fulfillment in many of his prophecies and a future fulfillment. And in chapter 2, uh, early in Isaiah's book, he says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. So he uses that same phraseology. He's talking about a time when they will beat their swords in the plowshares, their spears in the pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. And even though that is written on the entrance of the United Nations, we know that that is not going to take place until Jesus Christ comes back, the Prince of Peace, and then a peace will cover the earth as waters cover the sea, as Isaiah declares. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron, and he will restore the nation of Israel. Now, here's the thing. As we are putting all this together, chapter 30, Jeremiah says that there's going to be a restoration of Israel and Judah, but we know that they're going to go through, as he would say in verse 7 of chapter 30, that there will be a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. In other words, as we put the prophetic scenario together, that we know that there's going to be the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel, as he read Jeremiah's prophecy, we know that he mentions Jeremiah in Daniel chapter 9, reading the prophecies of the 70 years are almost over. Daniel then begins to pray. Gabriel shows up and says that I come, Daniel, to give you this prophecy, a word that um, concerns your people and your holy city. And so that prophecy was for Daniel's people, that is the Jews, his holy city, that is Jerusalem, and 70 weeks or 70 periods of seven years are determined for your people and for your holy city, uh, for the consummation of, of the nation, the history of the nation. And we don't, again, have time to go into the prophecy, but it's very, very important for you who are students of end-time prophecy that you understand those last four verses of Daniel chapter 9 because it really sits the timetable for end-time prophecy to let us know that there's still a, a seven-year period that God's going to be dealing with the nation of Israel, with his people, the Jews. You see, the reason I mention that is because if you don't understand that, then you will get mixed up and messed up concerning end-time prophecy. The timetable that is given to us, the outline that is given to us from the Old Testament, and, and you'll begin to adopt things like replacement theology, 
or amillennialism. There's uh, more and more churches and Christians, unfortunately, pastors that are all millennials, that all means none. There's no millennium reign. Uh, there are those who say there's no rapture of the church. There are those who, <clears throat> as we've seen that doctrine even grow among even evangelical circles of replacement theology that God is through with Israel, uh, that they have forfeited the promises that God gave to them that we're going to read about even in chapter 31, that they have forfeited the promises of God and now the promises belong to the church and church is Israel. Not that we replace Israel. We are Israel. We're spiritual Israel. And I don't see that in Scripture. I believe that's a, it's a wrong interpretation. God says this will come to pass. He's speaking to Israel. And keep in mind that God has a plan for the church. He has a plan for Israel. And as Paul would write in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11... Chapter 9, he writes about their past, how they had the oracles, how they had the promises, how they had the prophecies. He writes about chapter 10, their present, that seeking their own righteousness, but not the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. They were still trying to, you know, have the law and find righteousness through the law and through the traditions and all of that. And then chapter 11, Paul says in Romans, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. He's not through with them. He still has a plan for them. And blindness has come in part to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. I believe that that speaks of the time when the rapture of the church happens. And then all of Israel will be saved. And as we read about that Jacob's trouble that was mentioned in chapter 30 here, of Jeremiah, it's speaking particularly of the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, or what we call the tribulation period. And a lot of things are taking place, but suffice it to say that Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, once again is telling us that the focus is going to be on Israel once again. So Israel is the epicenter, the focus, uh, the focal point of end-time prophecy. Always keep that in mind. And it's not a coincidence that they come back into the land, a fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 and 37, that they would come back into the land. They're going to be planted there. They're going to build the ancient cities. Amos ends his book by saying that. And once they come back into the land, they will not be plucked out. And here's the thing. If we take the, the prophecies that Isaiah gave, and the Old Testament prophets gave of coming of Messiah in his first coming that were fulfilled to the letter, every dot and tittle. And, and as we're going through Matthew's gospel, Matthew, he focuses on the Jewish reader uh, to show that Jesus is the king of kings. So that's why going through Matthew's gospel, we read, as it was fulfilled by the prophet, as it was fulfilled by the prophet, because the Jewish reader, he's familiar with the Old Testament prophecies. He's saying, yes, Jesus did come and fulfill those prophecies, literally. One of those that he fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read about in this chapter that we're going to begin in chapter 31. But as we go through you know, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled every one, every dot and tittle of his first coming concerning his birth and his ministry and his death and burial and resurrection. 
Well, why would we think he's not going to fulfill literally the second coming of Jesus Christ, all the prophecies given to us? But yet so oftentimes that there are those who will spiritualize it and allegorize it, and there is no millennium reign. If you say there is no millennium reign, if you say that God is done with Israel, then you have to reinterpret or ignore hundreds of verses of the Old Testament and whole chapters such as Jeremiah chapter 31. So it's extremely important that we have the, the um, belief that God is going to fulfill what he said he's going to do with Israel and Judah. And it brings me comfort because I know that God's promises are true. And I know that if he's going to keep his promise for Israel, he's going to keep his promise for me. So let's begin to look at chapter 31, that at the same time, says the Lord, it will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Again, this follows as, uh, you know, the, the, there was no chapter breaks when Jeremiah wrote this. In the latter days, you shall consider it at the same time that I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. So God will restore all of Israel, and his restoration will be complete. So this verse is linked to the previous two verses that we ended with chapter 30, and um, because God's judgment will come, you know, um, and there will be a restoration uh, that includes Israel and of Judah, all of God's people, the families of Israel. Let's continue looking at this. Verse 2, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know, that's such a comforting verse, isn't it? Because it's true for us. He loves us. Not that I have loved you past that I don't love you anymore. I, I love you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And again, I, ha I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines in the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. So God is saying that their long years of turmoil are over, and there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day when he's going to give them rest. And God is motivated by his everlasting love. And I just want to say how that is comforting, as I've already mentioned, because he is motivated for you and for me by his everlasting love. And even when we begin to stray off, we begin to go in a direction that we shouldn't. Even in those times where he has to chasten us, and as the book of Hebrew declares, he chastens whom he loves because he's a loving father, and it shows that we belong to him. He does it because he's motivated for his love for you and me. Even as parents, we chasten or discipline our own children. Why? Because we love them when we want them to do well. But if he's been chastening you or, you know, he's desiring for you to come back to him, he is going to work in your life because he desires for you to come to him, chasten you, discipline you, 
And in those times, always keep in mind that is motivated for his love for you. And that as I've already, you know, I've mentioned many times that his message is come home. Come home to him. And as we look at this, this is going to be a time of joy. Uh, she will pick uh, up her tambourine and dance with joy. It will be a time of peace and prosperity. Prosperity, And thirdly, it will be a renewed commitment to the Lord. You know, people pouring into Israel, verse 6, and Mount Zion that is mentioned here uh, in verse 6, which is Jerusalem. Arise and let us go to Zion to the Lord our God. So here he's saying that, that there's going to be joy. You're going to come back into the land, to the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. You shall rebuild, you know, as he's saying. And we're seeing a partial fulfillment of that. And it's absolutely amazing that he mentioned this last week. But, you know, as God is working, it's no coincidence that they became a nation once again after 2,000 years of being absent out of the land, not a nation, away from their homeland, and all of a sudden a miracle took place, a great miracle. Right before our very eyes, you know, in 1948, they became a nation, and they have rebuilt that land, and they're, they're in the mountains of Samaria. They're rebuilding the ancient cities. They're planting the vineyards, the agriculture, absolutely amazing what has taken place and more and more are coming into israel as i mentioned that even this year that there are jews that are leaving the united states they're leaving australia they're leaving different parts of the world and they're saying we're going to go back to israel Two hundred fifty thousand immigrants god is preparing the people for what he has for them and even as ezekiel 36 and 37 is a partial fulfillment but when jesus christ comes back and they acknowledge him as their Messiah, and they're going to see him. And even as, you know, Jesus said that when he wept over Jerusalem right before his death, he said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, they will go through that Jacob's trouble mentioned in chapter 30. They're going to go through a time of great tribulation. And Jesus mentions Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Again, we're putting all the pieces of the prophetic puzzle together. And he, that is the Antichrist, will make a covenant with Israel for a week. And that is that it will allow them to rebuild the temple. There's going to be a third temple. There's not a temple there now. And we know that the Antichrist, making this covenant with Israel for a week, or that is a seven-year period, in the middle of the week, the abomination which makes desolate, or that is, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, then flee and get out of there because there's going to be great tribulation such as the world has never seen or will ever see again. And the tribulation period, that seven-year period, is mentioned to us in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. When you get to chapter 11, we see that John is told to measure the temple in Jerusalem. So it will be standing. You go to Jerusalem today, and, and they will show you how they got all the furnishings ready to go. You can go through the old city of Jerusalem. They got the seven-branch menorah overlaid with gold. Uh, that's there in the, in the city square, the old city of Jerusalem, ready to go into the temple, the furnishings, the priestly garments, all those things. And they can even begin to do sacrifices before the temple is built. 
And we saw that. What was amazing, and we didn't go to the Temple Institute this last time we were in Israel, but the last time I was there, you know, we were going through the book of Ezra where they came back, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, they pushed all the rubble aside uh, from, you know, the destruction of the first temple. And the very first thing that they did was they built the altar so they could begin sacrifices before they even began to build the temple. And when we were at the Temple Institute uh, there in Jerusalem, they said, we can start sacrifices. We don't need the temple. And it was amazing. It's just like what was written there in the book of Ezra. So, you know, a temple is going to be built. They're all ready to go. The Antichrist is going to come and make a covenant. But as Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that the Antichrist, what he will do is he will go into the temple of God. He will proclaim himself as God to be worshipped as God. We read about in chapter 11 and 12 and 13, that's the midway point of the tribulation period, when the Antichrist does that, proclaims himself as God, that begins Jacob's trouble, the last three and a half years. And that's where the Jews will say, we are not going to accept you as Messiah. We're not going to worship your image that you set up in the temple. And they will flee, a remnant of them, to the rock city of Petra. The Antichrist will heavily persecute them. They will go through the fire, as Zechariah says. And then at the end of the three and a half years, as they call for a fast, as it looks like that Israel's going down, the battle of Armageddon, all this has taken place, then Jesus will come back. They will call out to him. And Paul says, in that day, all of Israel will be saved, Roman chapter 11, as they will look at him whom they pierce. And they will say, where did you get those wounds? And he will say that I got these wounds in the house of my friends in Zechariah chapter 12. So God is going to restore Israel. You won't see me again till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, talking about that time when their eyes are going to be opened up and they're going to come and recognize Jesus as their Messiah. He restores the nation. He will judge the nations. And then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, where he rules and reigns from the throne of David there in Jerusalem. Uh, absolutely incredible future for Israel, but an incredible future for you and me as Christians, because I believe that we're going to be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth, that is Revelation chapter 3, the promise to the church of Philadelphia uh, is a promise for us that I'm going to take you out from that hour of tribulation, the tribulation period. And, and so I believe the next prophetic event that could take place is the rapture of the church. It can happen at any moment. We don't know the day or the hour. The reason I'm parking on this a little bit, because I think it's so important, especially in the day in which we are living in, that we be ones, that we be a watchman. It says, when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim and arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. And in the Old Testament, particularly when we get to Ezekiel, the watchman is mentioned. Be a watchman on the wall, Ezekiel. And the watchman would be on the wall of the ancient cities and he would look out and he would warn the people of the city of impending danger if the enemy was approaching. He would blow the trumpet and he would give the warning. You and I as Christians today are to be the watchmen on the wall. 
It was Jesus that said, you need to watch and be wise. Be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. Over and over again in the New Testament, we are told that we are to be watching. That we're to be awake. We're to be sober. Don't go to sleep spiritually. And listen, this is really important. We are to be discerning the times we are in, not ignoring the times. And unfortunately, and, and this is just an honest evaluation, what I've, I've seen um, you know, in the church at large that many churches and pastors are ignoring the times in which we are in. Rather than discerning the times, we are to be a watchman and say, listen, the storm clouds are gathering. The, the birth pangs are taking place. That we're seeing events that are stage-setting events all around us that point to the fact that we are in the last days, that the return of the Lord can be at any moment, that God is preparing Israel, who's going to be the focal point. Absolutely amazing how you can read this book, the Bible, and read your newspaper, and it's like the Lord is saying, wake up. And what you and I are to be in the days in which we are in is discerning and watching, and we are to blow the trumpet, and we are to give God's truth. What a blessing, and I think that you would agree with me, to be able to know that God tells us what the future is, the plan that we have. And that excites me, especially when we're going through a season where we're in this pandemic, where we see a season of lawlessness in our cities and in our nations. Jesus said that these are birth pangs that are going to take place. And we are seeing it before our eyes. And there are certain events that are setting the stage for the future Antichrist that will come along. And he will keep track of everyone in the world. You will not be able to buy or sell. So the Bible talks about these things that we are beginning to see the rumblings. That we see the birth pangs. We see the storm clouds that are gathering, and it's the Lord that is speaking to us very loudly. Be a watchman and pay attention and don't go to sleep spiritually. I don't know when the rapture of the church is going to happen, but I do know that it can happen at any moment. We don't know the day or the hour. I know that there are things that are taking place that, that are absolutely amazing. The birth pangs happening you know, more frequently and more intently. Uh, I see that things are falling into place very, very quickly. Absolutely amazing. And that excites me because I know that we can be discerning in the days in which we were living in. And I have a real concern for the church that, that there's people that, that want to know what does the future hold. And we know that we have heaven that awaits us. We know that the Lord is going to come back. And he's going to be faithful to the promises that he's given to us. He's going to be faithful to the promises that he's given to Israel. And we can be assured of that. It's going to be fulfilled. It must come to pass. So as we are living today, we can talk to family members. We can talk to neighbors and coworkers. Being that watchman on the wall, being able to discern the times. I really believe, and I think you would agree with me, if people are wondering what's going to happen. I don't know exactly what's going to happen to our nation, but the overall big picture of what's going to happen in the future, we have answers for. 
And, and we know that God's going to bring everything that has taken place, that he allows to take place, the culmination of the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. So be a watchman on the wall. Don't go to sleep. And, and here is these prophecies that are given. Um, and there is going to be a millennium reign. There is going to be a rapture of the church. There is going to be uh, the focal point on Israel in the tribulation period. And there's also going to be, you know, all these things that we're going to continue to look at that will take place. Verse 7, let's continue. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people. The remnant of Israel, behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child, the one who labors with child together, a great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. So he will gather his people in his final exodus. We're, we're seeing people pouring into Israel right now. Ephraim's my firstborn. In other words, God is Israel's father, showing a deep love that God has for his people Israel. And as we here see that Ephraim represents Israel as a whole, and you know, Ephraim is my firstborn, speaks of preeminence, and he's not through with Israel. Um, he has this plan for them. He's going to bring them back, even as Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24. It is coming. Then the angels will gather the elect from the four corners of the earth, speaking of Israel. Remember, Isaiah called them the elect in his book. And then in verse 10, hear the words of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the isles far, uh, far off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of the stronger than he. Therefore he shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd, and the soul shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more. In verse 13, then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men in the old together, for I will return their mourning to joy, will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests, uh, or that is to fulfill uh, with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. The, these verses do bring us great comfort, don't they? And in this restoration, God will bless. They're going to be like a well-watered garden, he says. It reminds you so much of the words of Jesus. And you recall that in Jeremiah chapter 6, that Jeremiah said, you know, the Lord says, return to his word. And as you return to his word, to his truth, to, to the ancient past, then what's going to happen is you're going to find rest. Because you don't have any rest right now. We know that Jeremiah has uh, talked to them about that you're going to take on a yoke, the yoke of Babylon, and, and a yoke of iron is what's going to happen. It's going to be heavy, and it's going to be hard. And Lord had warned them about that clear back 
in the book of Deuteronomy that if you forsake me, there's going to be a yoke of iron. It is Jesus that comes along and says, come to me, all of you who worry and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, there's a lot of people around us that are restless. And maybe you're feeling a little restless, and particularly as we go through this season that we're all experiencing right now. We're going through just, you know, um, uncertainty and challenges. And, and Jesus says, to you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Come to me personally. And that's where we're going to find rest. Because he not only wants us to trust in him, he wants us to rest in him. And then he goes on and he says, learn of me and you'll find rest for your souls. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't take on the yoke of the world. And if any of us live for the world or put our trust in the world or looking to the world to satisfy us, then what's going to happen is we're going to find that as we yoke ourselves to carnality and worldly things, that it's going to be heavy like a yoke of iron. And Jesus says, yoke yourself with me. Walk with me. Learn of me. Follow after me. And as you do, he says, my burden is light. The burden of the world is so heavy. And maybe the burden that you are facing is heavy right now. The Lord says, listen, learn of me, come to me, be refreshed by me. And you know that Jesus would speak of that if you thirst, come to me and drink. He would say that drink of the living waters to the Samaritan woman. He would cry out to the people up in the Galilee region in John chapter 6, come and eat and drink of me. And if you eat of me and drink of me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. So the question is, are you thirsty tonight? Are you heavy laden, the yoke of the world? Uh, are you one that you're restless? You are going to be restless and burden heavily until you really just come, all of us, and say, Lord, I just come to you and I trust in you. And I desire to give myself to you, to drink of you. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? You're not satisfied? Because trying to do things in your own energy or going after the ways of the world or trying to find the answers in the world, you're going to get cheated, you're going to get burdened, you're going to get ripped off, and you're going to get defeated. And that's what the Lord is saying. That's what he's been saying to his people here, Israel, you are going to go off into captivity because you have refused to follow me. I am motivated for my everlasting love for you, but yet you have refused to turn to me. And, and I want to be a shepherd to you. I want to be a father to you. I want to refresh you. And I want to satisfy you. I want to give you joy. I want to bring you comfort. That's what he's saying here in these verses because of my goodness the Lord is good. And it doesn't mean that our lives are going to be just rainbows and lollipops and everything is, you know, going to work out perfectly. But he is with us to show us his faithfulness, to strengthen us. And he promises to work all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And it means that in the bad that we go through, he's going to work good in it. And he desires to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work that he wants to do. 
He wants to make us stronger, and he wants us to depend on him. Because one of the things that we see in the prophetic scenario, listen, and I mentioned this last week, but it's a lesson that, that I think a lot of us are learning more and more, especially in the season that we're in, that Israel will find herself alone. You know, the United States is not going to help her. The Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling to all the nations. All means all. When they go through Ezekiel 38, that war, that no one is there to help her. There are a few nations protesting on her behalf. But I think, how could the United States not help Israel? Well, it's going to be to a point, and, and again, we don't know what the political situation is going to be in our nation, the economic situation, what's going to cause that, because it seems like that we're strong allies with Israel. But when that war happens, when the tribulation happens, that no other nation is there to help her. She finds herself alone. But God allows that to happen so that Israel calls out to the Lord and cries out to the Lord so they realize that he is our help, that he's here to rescue us. And you see, you might feel a little bit isolated right now and alone right now. But in that aloneness, and in the time that you're going through what it is difficult, that the Lord is working, that he's saying, turn to me, learn of me, drink of me, be satisfied by me, be comforted by me. And he wants to make himself real to you more than ever before. That's the work that he wants to do. For all of us to understand that he is our help. You know, one of the things that on Sundays we have our outdoor services going through Matthew's gospel, we're going to talk about discipleship and these different people that came and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And, and, and Lord, I, I want to follow you in different scenarios. And in one of those that came to him, Jesus said, put your hand to the plow and keep moving forward and don't look back. But, you know, one of the things that we'll talk about is Jacob. And Jacob here in name of Israel at the brook Jabbok in Genesis 32, where he's wrestling with the Lord. He can't go backwards. It's uncertainty going forward. He's afraid. And maybe you're wrestling with the Lord right now at that brook. Maybe that's where you're at. But the Lord would change Jacob's name to Israel. And in the brokenness that, that he went through that we'll talk about on Sunday, that the Lord made himself more real to Jacob. And you see, that's what he wants to do with us as we wrestle with things, as we find ourselves at that brook, as we find ourselves being isolated. He wants to satisfy us with his goodness, with his love. He desires for us to really experience his joy, the things that he wants to bless us with, fill us, bring gladness and comfort to us as we just rely on him. Well, we didn't finish the chapter. We'll pick it up next time, and there's so much more as we'll look at the new covenant. But these are words of comfort for us. And, Father, we just thank you for this Bible study. And, and I just pray that those of who have turned and, and listened to the study tonight or will later, that, Lord, that they would have the assurance that your promises are true for us. And you desire to satisfy us, to fill us, to, Lord, renew us in every way. And, and I do pray that we would understand that you are motivated by your love for us, your everlasting love for us, and whatever 
that you're doing in our lives and allowing in our lives to make yourself more real to us, even in the loneliness that we feel. To come to that place of truly experiencing your goodness and your comfort. Lord, um, to be watered like a well-watered garden. Lord, to drink of you. When it speaks of the weed and new wine and oil, speaking of joy that you want to give to us, the goodness of the Lord streaming into our lives. And Lord, you want to be a father to us. You are a father to us, a good shepherd to us. So I pray that these words given here to to the house of Judah are words for us that we can be comforted by. And so, Lord, I thank you that we had this study tonight. I pray you just be with everybody here tonight that going through challenges or difficulties, who maybe are sick, who maybe have gone through loss, who have gone through, Lord, challenges and trials. I pray for your comfort to be upon them right now and they would know that you will never leave us or forsake us. And when we don't understand why things are happening in our lives or why we're in circumstances or things that take place that have brought pain, Lord, we know that we can trust you and we can rest in you. We can come to you and learn of you and find rest for our souls. Yoke ourselves with you because you have eternity in view, in mind. Work in those eternal perspectives in our lives. And Lord, that we can just look to you and be comforted. Lord, I ensure that there are some that are listening that they need to be comforted right now. I pray that you would do that work. Father, I pray that we would just allow you to make yourself more real to us than ever before. I thank you for this this study. I pray that you bless everyone here in our evening and the rest of our week. Looking forward to meeting on Sunday. And Lord, um, we look to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, Sunday, 8.30, 10.30, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel. Hope we can see you here. Keep in mind that we have seats in the sanctuary if you don't want to be out in the heat. And then, um, you know, the coffee shop as well. Hope we can see you. Hope you're doing well. God bless you, and have a great evening.